I'm Alex Mosed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. Ironically enough, during coronavirus issues right now, both the incumbents and the tech monopolies have huge opportunities in front of them. It's actually the tech startups and the small businesses that are suffering the most, unfortunately. What we are seeing, for example, is Airbnb. Just this week, I spoke about it on the show on Tuesday, raised a billion dollars in debt. They were paying over 10% interest. This money is coming from private equity investors uh, like Silver Lake here and Sixth Street Partners. So they're raising a billion dollars and they are uh, providing warrants. So it's debt with warrants. And what we've now learned is that these warrants have a strike price equivalent to an $18 billion valuation. Now, the thing to note is that Airbnb was valued at $31 billion in their last fundraise. The gotcha is that Airbnb's last fundraise was over two and a half years ago in 2017. So it's now been over two and a half years where they've had strong growth in throughout the rest of 2017, 2018, 2019. Strong growth, approaching the point of, of break-even and profitability. Um, some of their investors apparently are having an issue with management, and some apparently some of the investors did not want to participate in this round because they wanted Brian, the CEO and one of the co-founders, to either be replaced or have a management shuffle. This money doesn't come with any strings around management shuffles, but it certainly is a meaty haircut, roughly 40% with these warrants here. And obviously the warrants can be executed at a later date when the company can be in a much better position. So you're making over 10% interest on your money, on your billion dollars, which is debt. So it's, you know, it's, it's not... Uh, risky equity investment, you, you know, that money will come back to you. And then you can also put in an investment later on once you absolutely know that Airbnb's valuation post-coronavirus is well above $18 billion. Um, this is a pretty great deal. And the interesting thing about this is, one, the money is coming from private equity, not VCs. VCs are really doing a disservice to tech startups, big and small. Uh, VCs, I think, are really showing their true colors for not being there for these tech startups in their most dire time of need. So there, I've I have a lot of you know I'd say gripes with how the VC community has been handling themselves during during these past number of weeks. Doesn't seem like it's changing either. So anyway, this is a great deal. This is a great deal for Silver Lake and Sixth Street. A steal of a deal. But apparently, Airbnb is going to lose a billion dollars in the first half of 2020. They're not doing huge layoffs, right? They are kind of keeping the ship the same. Uh, whether or not you think that's a good business decision, I think you probably should do some cuts. But hey, I'm not leading that company. Um, anyway, they've got their billion dollars. And there's now a rumor that Airbnb is actually going to get look for even more money. Potentially, Airbnb is now weighing plans to raise as much as a billion dollars more in new financing, uh, which is kind of interesting. So these are very expensive terms for Airbnb to be, to be giving up. 
The other interesting note from this is that Airbnb has the size and scale to be public. If they had played their cards right and gone public in 2019, they would have much better uh, financing options for the business versus now being private and, and more illiquid. So interesting that they could be looking for even more money. But the broad majority of tech startups don't have the luxury of being able to go to private equity. And so when you don't have the ability to go to private equity and you don't have VCs backing you, this is the dilemma that, that many tech startups that have very strong businesses, but that their business has fallen off of a cliff in the past few weeks. They might have been break even six, seven weeks ago, but now that they, their business has declined so drastically, they're burning through cash uh, much more than they could have ever predicted. And now they actually don't have uh, much runway at all. Now, to compare Airbnb to Slack, where their business is obviously getting a lot of usage, but even Slack has now exercised a convertible note to get $750 million in convertible notes. Even Slack is now going out to the markets to get this. But this is much less expensive debt. The interest rate, I think, is half a percentage point. On Yeah, it's 50 basis points of interest uh, coming due in 2025. and. Uh, this is much less expensive than what Airbnb is having to do, partially because their business is not falling off a cliff like Airbnb is, but also because uh, it's a public company and they have access to much more liquid markets. What we are definitely seeing, though, is we're seeing a discount, a premium provided for cash during this crisis. Cash is tight. Banks aren't lending. Markets have seized up. And big companies... Airbnb, even a Slack, are providing uh, generous terms, Airbnb very generous terms, just to shore up their balance sheet and get cash uh, in the near term. Smaller companies, again, don't have that luxury and are in, are in much more dire straits. So the next topic is what platforms are actually doing well. So let's start off with uh, the, the platform of all platforms. Plat, the index, the ETF launched by WisdomTree. This index was launched in May of 2019. And it launched right around $25 a share, maybe like $24.80 a share. Today, Plat closed at $24.94, Thursday, April 9th. So basically, the platform basket of stocks is back to where it started. Um, yeah, 11 months ago in May of last year. The Platt Index peaked at about $30 a share right before all of this um, in, you know, in late February. So you can still see that it's, you know, it's down $5 a share uh, from where it was about six weeks ago. But now you have analysts saying that the, that the market is just now starting to hit a bottom. I don't know. I don't know what these people... I mean, um, you've seen the market go up tremendously just in the past couple of weeks. You know, I think the, where it really aggressively bottomed out was kind of mid-March, and then you had some dips shortly thereafter. I think there are still uh, a number of platform stocks that are very far below where they were just six, seven weeks ago. And so there's still a lot of growth left, I think, as the economy. It's not there yet. We're still a ways away. But eventually, as the economy starts to normalize and growth starts to pick back up, you still have many of these platform stocks that are suppressed from where they were six, seven, eight weeks ago. 
as you can see, if we just look at the basket of these now roughly at basically May of 2019 prices compared to where they were seven, eight weeks ago at $30 a share. Um, more specifically, though, let's look at a company called Market Access. So um, Market Access is it's, it's the dominant investment platform for bond trading. And their volume in March, they released their volumes in, uh, for, for March. They were up 50% from March of 2019. So on that news, uh, Market Access's stock flew through the roof. And so basically, they saw even more activity. Now, what's interesting is that the alternative to Market Access is a lot of human bond brokers and uh, less digital channels to do bond trading at bond desks and these kinds of things that the different banks will have. So um, they, what they've seen is more of a migration to this online platform usage and a huge spike in the trading. Also, a lot of volatility in the debt markets that prompted a, a huge amount of volume trading back and forth. Um, so market access actually saw a 50% increase, which was uh, a much larger increase than, I mean, they're still growing year over year in their other months, but this increase was much larger uh, in the month of March as compared to kind of regular year over year growth for, for the company. You also see Etsy here uh, coming out, I think in the, yeah, about a week ago, saying that um, they have over $800 million in cash and short-term investments. None of their debt is due before 2023, and they've got another $200 million credit line untapped. They're you know, basically saying, we're going to make it through this just fine. And they also were saying in, in, in Q1, they saw their GMV up 32% year over year. What Etsy has been touting recently, though, this, is, this I found very interesting, is here mobilizing our community in times of need these are custom-made face masks embroidered design and nice flowers oh, pretty nice um so what they've said here over the over the weekend this past weekend buyer search face masks on etsy uh, over two million times we've sold hundreds of thousands of face masks each day the number of face mask sellers has increased fivefold. Now they have 20,000 sellers making custom-made face masks. Uh, so it's really interesting, right? This They have this, the whole point of Etsy is these kind of homemade goods made by very small mom and pop uh, or individual uh, craftspeople and coming to the need of uh, face masks, nice face masks, I'll add, that in, on a dime, this marketplace dynamic allows them to source all of this very unique inventory that um, certainly no linear traditional retailer would ever be able to capture that quickly. And since it's all custom made or handmade, the responsiveness of that producer, that seller community is able to pivot uh, pretty quickly as we're seeing here to, to meet the demand. So uh, I thought this was a great example of, you know, platforms rising to the challenge and and uh you know solving supply issues in 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 their own unique way the uh the next topic here is zoom which is not actually in plat when we analyze them for how they talk about their company in their 10k they actually don't fit the criteria for plat um and more so are billed as a kind of 
SaaS tool, uh, even though you know I, I think many people would see them as a communication platform, which they do provide that service. The way they describe their network effects, they don't, they don't, they don't describe their network effects in a way that fit the plat criteria. Um, maybe that'll change in the future, and we can reevaluate them. But what we're seeing with Zoom these days is not very good news. There's been a slew of articles about their security issues and security leaks, where you know they were integrating with Google. You could sign in with Google, or you could sign in with Facebook, and then Facebook and Google would have access to your information and to your data. And there's all these other kind of uh, bugs and and security leaks that have been chronicled here. But the interesting thing that I found about Zoom or the most uh, disconcerting thing that I found about Zoom was in a release that they recently put out talking about China, one of my favorite topics these days. The Intercept published this article. So Zoom has over 700 employees in China. That's fine. Here's the problem. The company admitted the data was mistakenly, this is in quotes, routed through Chinese servers. That just doesn't happen. It doesn't, those mistakes don't happen. That's not a mistake. You, you set up your system infrastructure. You understand where your servers are. You understand how you're completing these calls and connecting people and latency. Like you've got hundreds of engineers. The engineers, you know, this isn't just a mistake. Um, this, I actually think, is deceit. And could probably go down as gross negligence. I actually could see a class action lawsuit being filed against Zoom for this gross negligence. You don't just mistakenly route your data over unencrypted video calls through Chinese servers. That doesn't happen. And if that is a mistake, then you're a fool and you shouldn't have your job. So it's one of the two. But either way, it's not good news. I wouldn't be surprised if we see class action lawsuits on the on the horizon for Zoom. We're also seeing huge usage again in Slack and Microsoft Teams and an uptick there. So Zoom really does not have the kind of stickiness that um I think a lot of people would prescribe to it and yes they have a huge amount a huge amount of usage increase but bumping their stock price does not reflect the amount of actual increased paying users that Zoom expects to see. I'm actually not very bullish on Zoom despite everything going on with Corona and, and working from home. Uh, I think a lot of, you know, the companies, that's really what they rely upon here for their customers. Companies value this stuff and you can't make these kinds of mistakes. And if you are, if they are actually mistakes, um, then you don't deserve their business or let alone your leadership role. So these are really serious problems that, that aren't just happening in one place, but happening in multiple places. And uh, it's a public company, right? I mean, you expect a lot more from, from uh, a company like this. Now, another company that's also not having so good of a day is Macy's. So they are now out of the S&P 500. They are now in the small cap index. Wow, that's a dreary, dreary photo. Oh boy. Why did Macy's fall out of the S&P 500? Because their stock is now at under $7 a share, which means they've got a $2 billion market cap. You need to have at least a $5 billion market cap to be in the S&P 500. And they were 
in Feb, they were at 16 bucks a share. So almost, you know, they're, they're, they're always kind of teetering on that $5 billion, $6 billion market cap edge. Now they've fallen out. They're not getting back in anytime soon. They're having trouble just paying. Actually, I don't even think they're paying all their leases. They've furloughed or laid off a bunch of employees. Macy's is not doing well. Now, the interesting thing with Macy's is Macy's has a top 10 trafficked e-commerce website. And that is immensely valuable, um, which I don't know what is going to happen to Macy's, but if there's an asset price or a value that can be placed on having that digital demand, which I would say that digital demand is very attractive, right? The the in-store demand is not very interesting to me, but the digital demand, that 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 behavior of going to Macy's.com and buying clothing, that is very valuable. So I wonder if you could actually spin those off and try and separate those out because that that part of the business actually is valuable. The rest of it, the retail part of the business, not very valuable. Uh, they've got way too much real estate. They've had way too much real estate for years. We've spoken on the show many times about how it's not just Macy's. It's basically all of retail. We have like 20 plus retail square feet per capita per person in the U.S., we have way too much retail space in the U.S. We have needed a contraction for a long time, and certainly coronavirus seems to be a forcing function for that. But Macy's is out. I don't think they're going back anytime soon. I'd be interested if you could kind of spin off or carve out that e-commerce asset because there is real value there, uh, and that that actually should be valued at a much higher multiple than the rest of the 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 business, the the retail revenue business deserves a very low multiple. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see how creative bankers and, and everyone needs to get on this business or if a restructuring is, is, uh, is on the horizon as I think it is for a lot of the retail industry, but, um, we'll see, we'll see how fast things bounce back. Anyway, thanks you for joining us on the show and we will, uh, talk to you tomorrow.